All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being uh, with us tonight for our BI course. Uh, this is uh, Angels, Demons, and Spiritual War, if you didn't know that. Um, if you're in the wrong class or something, uh, you're welcome to stay. Uh, there are um, notes in the back. Mike, is there still some left back there? Anybody not get one that would like one? Just raise a hand. No? I think we're good? Excellent. I printed up just enough, I believe. There we go. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, this is a, a new class for me, uh, meaning like, obviously, it's new to you too. I've never taught it. And so it's a, I usually, if you've taken my classes before, I usually uh, have written the entire syllabus and done with the entire notes. Um, just didn't happen this time. Um, it's a lot of work and it's, uh, it's everything's from scratch. I'm having to like kind of, so uh, it's a, it's a we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject. So, um, so it's been a, a, a fun study for me, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, as well. So um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be together and study uh, the topics of uh, here, angels, demons, spiritual war. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would both encourage us, convict us, uh, make us aware. God, do your work in through us as we uh, study this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there is uh, one uh, required. Yes, I am recording. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. You know, there's never mind. I won't get there now. You know, the Jewish people believe there was a recording angel who recorded all the words. So there you go. You could be my recording angel. Wink. All right. Um, the uh, there is one uh, required uh, so, uh, book for reading is uh, C.S. Lewis's. This is uh, obviously your copy is different than mine. Mine's older. Um, Screw tape letters. That uh, is uh, the reason I recommended this book as a as one of our bases for readings because we're going to biblically speaking we're going to walk through. Every verse that's, that's in there that deals with angels, deals with demons, and all of that. And so I wanted to give you something to kind of complement that. Um, if you've never read Lewis's before, it's a fascinating take and look on the whole subject. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a, it's a mentor demon. That's a nonfiction. Um, it's a, um, I'm sorry, fiction. It, it, based on some nonfiction facts. But it goes, it goes, to, oh, let's get those backwards. And... Um, and it works through, um, he's a mentor demon kind of discipling his protege on how to tempt, right, and how to tempt mankind. So it's a very interesting look um, at that, and so that's why I recommended that one for um, your reading. Um, in, the, uh, in the syllabus I gave you, uh, you'll see a, a course description, objectives. I'll let you kind of look through those in your own time, kind of what we're after. Um, the textbook, as I said, is the, the Lewis's uh, Screw Tape Letters. Uh, the recommended books I put down there, we'll talk about this in a little bit tonight, but... Um, it's actually quite sad that there just isn't a lot written out there uh, on this subject. Um, uh, I've got 17 volumes of systematic theology, and I went through all of them, and the amount of material devoted to this subject was like that. I mean, it's very, very small. And so, uh, but these are some recommendations, some books. Um, Alcorn's two books are, are going to be like Lewis's uh, from the fiction standpoint, but uh, still very interesting. Um, the others you can kind of uh, roll through there. Thomas uh, Brooks' uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, an old Puritan book. Uh, really, really um, good. One of the best ones out there. Um, let's see. Um, it's really hard to record. Um, Pallison's book's really good, but it's out of print. Um, you know, so it's really, I really don't have a lot to say about books, actually. I mean, these are, these are the best ones I could come up with uh, to kind of recommend for if you're looking for further reading. Um, maybe this, this will turn into a book someday and we'll have another book to add to it. All right. So you'll see on uh, page three is the uh, schedule, what we'll be doing. Uh, we're looking at uh, tonight and next Sunday night, we're looking at angels. Uh, we're just going to devote our time to those two, uh, those two classes, to that subject of angels. 
Uh, we'll get into um, Satan and demons, the next two classes. Uh, class 5, we're going to look at kind of the perspective of the, the, the war from Genesis all the way to Revelation of, uh, of Christ and Satan, his attempt to thwart his plans. We'll kind of go through kind of a survey of that. And then uh, the kind of spiritual warfare element we'll do there in class 6. You'll see there's not a class 7. Um, because I'm going to be out of town, so I am extra work to do. I have to squeeze in seven classes worth of material. I'm at 255 pages right now um, writing, and so I've got to try to figure out how to squeeze that in. So I will try to get you, uh, if you take my class before, normally I, um, I, I, will, I, will, I manuscript everything. I give you the outline so you can take your own notes. I will email you uh, this next week um, the notes that I have. So you don't feel like you have to write everything down. I'll have that for you, and you'll have that material as well. Okay? Um, so that's uh, where we're going. Any questions before we begin? Terrific. All right. Let's, uh, let's begin there on page, page four. How does uh, modern culture portray angels? I'll throw that question to you first. When, when you just, I always like to start that way just to kind of see what, how does the world, how do people think about the subject, and then let's look at Scripture and see if that's actually accurate. What, uh, how does the world, the culture, portray um, angels? What are some thoughts out there? You think of a lot of times the medium of uh, film is usually a, one of those elements. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. You get your wings, right? Yeah. Okay. People think about guardian angels, okay. They have wings and float on clouds, yeah. Yeah. They play the harps. That's always fun. Yeah. They're usually women. Yeah. Yep. Always women. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. We're going to find that, that, that almost none of that's in scripture, by the way. Um, but uh, let's look at a few um, a few thoughts on this. Kind of pull some, some some of these things you said together. Um, you're kind of seen as uh, what I'll call innocent, almost mythical creatures. You know, they not not maybe real, just kind of a mythical, encouraging kind of uh, story. Sometimes they have this otherworldly uh, powers. They're prone to evil and whose job is to promote mankind's agenda, basically. It's kind of what you pull. When I pull all the different films and all the TV shows and pull them all together, that's kind of what it comes out to be. I'll give you some um, examples. Our culture is, is actually quite obsessed with this subject, as is the case of most people. That's why our class is full tonight. Um, it is a uh, Pew study of American religious life uh, shows that 7 in 10 Americans believe that angels and demons are active in the world. Very interesting. Um, less believe in God. <laughs> More believe in angels and demons being active. So it's a very interesting um, take on that. Um, if you take the entertainment industry, um, they make a lot of movies, television shows that are geared around this subject. And they do that for a reason. They do it to make money. And it's appealing. Obviously they do it because they realize people are going to watch it and therefore they create it. And so that's why we find a lot of it there. Even if you look at a lot of the modern day, like Marvel, DC comic stuff, a lot of the even backgrounds, a lot of the characters are very angelic in their in their uh, superpowers and things like that. As you uh, connect those two, so as you go through films, you mentioned earlier, um, you, there's there's Clarence, right, uh, from It's a Wonderful Life, or his wings. Uh, I'll give you uh, a few of these. There's uh, a guy named Joe Black. You meet Joe Black, he's an angel who falls in love with a woman. There's Angel Seth in the City of Angels who does the same thing, falling in love with a woman. Uh, Gabriel is, uh, is a character in the movie called Constantine. He is a half-breed angel fighting condemned souls with a smoking problem. Um, he's also doing battle against God in the prophecy as uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, another one, a uh, character named Loki, is an angel, his, his pal. 
uh, their fallen angel sent to Wisconsin, of all places, uh, who put... <laughs> help football apparently because right now that's going really well um who put the uh, whole of existence under threat by trying to re-enter heaven in the movie dog mode then there's michael the archangel played by uh john travolta who is uh michael ends up in iowa i don't know why they keep in these places uh he's the uh as uh, a kind of the bad boy angel gets kicked out uh there is uh in legion he falls to uh, gabriel falls to michael falls to the mojave desert in california cuts off his wings decides he doesn't be an angel anymore uh the angels of um in a TV show uh, series called Charmed. They're pacifists who serve good witches. And what dreams may come, Cuba Gooding plays a guardian angel who tries to help a man in heaven rescue his wife from hell. And angels in the outfield, angels help the Los Angeles Angels win baseball games. Uh, in The Good Place, which is a current show, Kristen Bell plays a lady who dies and basically turns into an angel, but it's by accident. She has to try to earn her stay. Uh, th those are just some of the, you start getting, this is what's out there. This is the ideas that go through uh, mainstream. Uh, then the angels of Hallmark, my personal favorite, the uh, the short chubby ones, right? The creatures with the with the wings, proportion size, you're like it's like a bumblebee, you know, like how does this thing fly? Uh, and carry that harp too, it's impossible. Um, there are others that they're out there shooting people with arrows, and they're supposed to fall in love, right? Um, which is kind of strange. They should die from that. Uh, most people um, in America think of angels as again cute, baby cupids from ancient art or beautiful people. A very popular, I believe, is. They are uh, people who have died, and now they kind of fly around and uh, sit on clouds, play harps. Uh, they're nice people who turn into angels. That's what they do. Nice people turn into angels, according to pop culture. They have a job of looking after um, us here. Um, and again, if you get your view of angels from pop culture, you have a seriously flawed perspective because it's just not consistent with Scripture. And Scripture has a lot to say about it. Uh, about the closest I could think of coming to accurate portrayal of angels was actually some years ago the History Channel did the Bible series. You know what I'm talking about if you ever saw that? The angels that are like in the Old Testament they were like tough and like that actually was more accurate to what the New Testament or the Old Testament even speaks to being angels uh, and, and, but it's not a normal description. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his introduction to Screwtape Letters uh, some 70 plus years ago noted how obsessed culture was about angels and how steadily their accuracy had degenerated from scripture. He noticed in the arts, how medieval paintings of Raphael had angels, they called them chubby and infantile nudes, and how 19th century angels turned into soft, slim, girlish angels. And so he said the following. He said, uh, in scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. The Victorian angel looks as if it's, it was going to say, they're there, right? They're there. And so it is. It's a complete different understanding, even not just modern culture, but even throughout church history, uh, through the Middle Ages and art as well. Uh, second question: How do other religions and cults understand angels? How do those? How do angels play a part in some of those? Anyone take a shot at that one? They're very prominent. Yep. Okay. Right, and the special glasses there, yeah. 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 That New Age religion portrays them almost like a spirit down every individual. Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, they're seen as the deliverers of revelation. Uh, usually that deliverer of revelation is contrary to what scripture uh, has to say, and there beings that are be, there be vener venerated and adored, uh, is what you find in other, other religions and cults. I'll give you a few examples. 
Um, in Catholicism, angels are considered saints, basically, uh, because they dwell in heaven. Uh, they dwell in heaven, therefore they are to be prayed to, um, even in some parts of that worshipped. Uh, Pope John Paul II emphasized the role of angels in Catholic teach teaching in 1986 address titled, Angels Participate uh, in the History of Salvation. He suggested modern people should uh, put more emphasis on angels. He also said that each person has a guardian angel who watches over them, and he says, quote, helps them to attain salvation, or at least follow them, he says, into purgatory, right? That's what they do. Um, there is the uh, Catholic angel of God prayer, where Catholics are instructed to pray to their guardian angel. Along the prayer is this, quote, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day or night be at my side to light and guard and rule and guide. Amen, right? We are to pray to them. That's kind of that process in the Catholic Church. Uh, Hinduism uh, believes in angelic beings called divas um, that may have uh, once been humans in previous lives. They have the whole reincarnation aspect. Uh, they evolve through many states of consciousness to reach their current state of divine, the divine state of angelic beings called divas. Uh, Mormonism, as was stated earlier, believes that angels either are spirits of humans who are deceased or who have yet to be born, or they're humans who have been resurrected have physical bodies of flesh and bone. Uh, Mormons actually, interesting theology, uh, also believe that Adam, the first man, was and is now what angel? Do you know? Archangel Michael. Yeah, that's what they believe. Adam is actually Michael, the archangel. They believe Gabriel is actually Noah. Uh, they teach that Jesus was an angel and actually the half-brother of Lucifer, and they were both spirit children of God the Father. That's the theology uh, behind the, the Mormon church. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was actually Michael the Archangel himself, that's who he is, a uh, created being from God. Uh, Islam is uh, clear on the nature of angels. They are messengers from God, uh, they say. An example of a task they are to carry out is they are to test individuals by granting them abundant wealth and curing their illnesses. Um, believing in angels is one of the six articles of faith uh, in Islam. And lastly, uh, the Baha'i faith describes angels as people who have consumed, quote, I'm going to read it because I don't understand it, have consumed with the fire of the love of God, all human traits and limitations, they have clothed themselves in angelic attributes and become endowed with the attributes of the spiritual. I don't know what that means. Uh, it sounds very confusing, but that's what their statement of faith says. So that's what we find. We find angels very prominent um, as we'll uh, get to study. When we get to the uh, study of demons, we'll find they're very prominent in promoting uh, false teaching and false ideas um, about God. Uh, number three, how did culture in ancient Judaism understand angels? This is getting closer to scripture now, and that's important to understand because it's going to give some background, especially like the book of Hebrews. Um, it's going to, there's a reason why the book of Hebrews starts off with talking about Jesus being superior um, to angels. Uh, ancient Judaism uh, was obsessed with angels who were believed to be part of an intricate system who controlled things on earth. Um, they had their kind of extra-biblical ideas. They even gave them names. They had certain angels whose names, uh, Raphael, Uriel, uh, Phanuel. Uh, some of those names came from the apocryphal books, uh, which are that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, the four silent years. Uh, they pulled them from there. Uh, very interesting. They had an intricate system. They believed 200 angels controlled the movement of the stars. They believed one, they believed one special angel was called the calendar angel. It controlled the never-ending succession of days, months, and years. There was a mighty angel who took care of the sea, others who took care of frost, dew, rain, snow, hail, thunder, and lightning. So they, have, they believe there was a recorded angel who wrote down every word that human beings said, and that was their job, was to record those things. Others were understood to be wardens of death and hell. 
uh, with the lead angel in this area called the Angel of Dark and Light. Uh, one of most striking, uh, most striking about ancient Judaism is belief in angels. And this is gets really interesting too, is because their belief in what was a good thing of God's transcendence. That God is so great and God is so holy that we as human beings, it is impossible for us to access or come to, to grips to have a relationship with God. So they began to believe that the chasm was so great and wide that the only way to bridge that gap, that that's what God made angels for, was to kind of help bridge that gap to go between the two. And so God had them carry man's prayers into his presence um, to do that. That's how important they were uh, in Jewish understanding. That's why when you get to Hebrews, why Hebrews 1 says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he, speaking of Jesus, has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's why Hebrews starts that way. That's, it was written to a Jewish audience. That was their belief. Um, and interesting about Hebrews is that they're gonna, he's going to say Jesus is not a superior angel, right? He's superior to angels because he's God. He, he is the inter, he's the intercessor. He's the inter, inter, intermediary between God um, and man. And that's what he'll say in Hebrews. Okay. All right. So that's having looked kind of a little bit of culture and background. Let's look at uh, start looking at what uh, Scripture has to say about angels. Any questions thus far? All right. All right. What are angels? Angels are created spiritual beings, moral judgment, high intelligence, and great power, but without human bodies, though they may assume them at times. So we're we're going to get to that later, but uh, they're not made in the image of God, as we are. Uh, there's a distinct difference between angels and, and mankind. Uh, the word angels, anybody know what the word angels means? Messengers. Yeah, there you go. Messengers is what the word means. Every time you read it, the word means messengers. Um, it's uh, mentioned uh, the angels or messengers or the different names given to angels throughout Scripture. You want to take a guess of how many times angels are referred to in the Bible? A lot, over 600 times in Scripture, angels are referred to by one of the names that we'll talk about in a minute, as many different names given to them. Uh, you want to guess what book of the Bible has the most references to angels? Revelation, Revelation that's right. Over 100 references just in Revelation uh, to angels in that book. Um, out of the 66 books of the Bible, 52 of the books reference and speak about um, angels in some capacity. Um, this tells us that it's Probably an important subject, right? If it's talked about that much, um, obviously God wanted us to know uh, something about it. So the study of angels is, uh, in theology, is called the uh, angelology. Uh, just angel with ology at the end, study of angels. And it's uh, one of, it's been considered in systematic theology, which is kind of, a, you know what systematic theology is, it's kind of a way of taking all the scriptures on one given subject, and putting them all together, and coming up with that, that theology or that doctrine. Okay, that's what systematic theology is. And so it's, um, it's one of the, considered one of the ten throughout church history, one of the ten major theological subjects to be studied. Um, however, it's, it's been tended to be neglected. As I mentioned to you, I have the 18 volumes on my shelf, and going through them, it's, just, it's, 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 it's amazing just how little um, is written about them. The, the amount of material given to that subject is very small. Uh, when it comes to books, it's even even harder. You got to go all the way back to kind of like 13th century with Thomas Aquinas to find anybody who wrote substantially uh, about the issue of angels um, prior to today. <coughs> and thus, it's uh, it's neglected in theology, even though um, they hold an important place in God's word. 
And it, it may be a, various reasons for that. Um, one, it may be because it is a difficult subject. There's a reason why I've only written the first class. It's, it's, it's a lot of material, and the material that you go through is subject to some tough interpretations and how to figure it out. And so it's, a, it's not an easy subject um, to, uh, to dive into. Um, also, the nature of Revelation, um, whenever they're revealed in Scripture, they're always revealed as an associate in some way. They're not the main character, let's put it that way. They're always there to do something or to say something or deliver something. So there's not a lot of Scripture devoted to just, just them, right? Oh, here's what angels are, right? It, is, it doesn't have that. Um, and you have, like, who is, who is Jesus? Well, that's Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1. Like you got some very clear references of passages that the whole point of the passage is to tell us that answer. You don't have one that says, here's what angels are, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's more incidental in some ways, and I think that's why it's become not as much written about, because it, it, they are more incidental in some ways. But they're always mentioned in the context of telling us something about God, about his nature, about his plans, about his purposes, and that's what makes it so important. The more we understand angels, the more we understand God. The more we understand God's purposes and plans and all of that. And that's why it's important. Okay? All right. Where do they come from? Where do angels come from? All right. What's that? God made them. God made them. That's correct. Yes, yes. Uh, they are created, and thus they're not eternal like God. So they have not been around for all of eternity. They are, uh, they are immortal, meaning they, they live on. They don't cease to die, that's what that word means, but they're not eternal beings. Um, there's lots of uh, passages that speak to the fact that they are they're created creatures. I'll give you a few of them. It's not an exhaustive list, but a few of them. Uh, Nehemiah uh, 9.6 says, You're the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. That's, that's one of our words for angels. For angels okay? Um, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Again, there's a reference of angels. But they were created, clearly, in that passage. In uh, Psalm 148, verse 2 and then verse 5, God commands, says, Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Okay, So they're part of um, creation. In the beginning of John's Gospel, John 1, says in the beginning, the Word, speaking of Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, So he made everything, and this includes, in that statement, um, angels as well. Uh, Colossians 1, 16, says, For by him, speaking of Jesus again, were, uh, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Or the thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. We believe those are references. Um, we'll get back to that later. Uh, different titles and uh, for angels. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, so they were created at a point in time. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute, exactly what that point in time was. But uh, understand that, that they, were, they were created simultaneously and individually. Okay, simultaneously and individually. God's not continuing to make angels, all right? Uh, each angel was an act of direct creation. So what I'm, why that's important is because they didn't descend from an original pair, okay? Like we did, right? They, they're, not, they're not being born. And that, the scripture makes that um, very clear. Jesus says in Matthew 22, 30, in the resurrection of Mary, or given in marriage, we're like angels in heaven, okay? And they're not procreating. They're procreating beings, okay? So they are uh, created simultaneously, individually. They are a direct creation by God. Okay. All right. 
At any moment, feel free to ask a question. I will carry on. So, when were they created? Again, and, and this is what makes this study so fascinating is because a lot of these answers, they're not just like, there's not a verse I can go, here's the verse. It just says it right there, right? There's inferences. We have to pull all verses together and go like, well, it looks like it's probably here, okay? Um, I would say most likely uh, angels were created on the first day of creation before the earth was spoken into existence, okay? And if you're looking for a reference, I would say Genesis 1b, okay? Genesis 1, 1b, that's what it is. Um, that's kind of where I believe they were, they were created. Um, you find, um, and one of, the, one of the big reasons for that understanding is you go to the book of Job, and you find them um, at the beginning of creation, they're referenced in Job as singing and praising God for what they saw being made, right? So obviously they had to be there for it to be made. That reference is in uh, Job 38, 4 through 7. It says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were the bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, there's another reference. That's the other thing about angels. It's difficult in scripture. They're always, they're always called angels. <laughs> they're called all kinds of things. Um, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There's a reference to them um, right there, which we'll get to a little bit later as well. So we see them alive at creation. They're praising God for as he spoke the earth into existence. We know, they're, again, with the previous verses we looked at, shows us that they were created beings. And so they had to be present for Earth's uh, formation. And thus, when it says in the beginning, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the Earth, if the word heavens, if it's referring to, because if you took my class on heaven and hell, we talked about the word heavens in the New Testament can either be our atmosphere, it could be our universe, or it can be God's presence, or Paul calls it the third heaven, right? It's the third level, as it were. And so, if that word heavens and the earth is speaking of all three of those, then angels will be part of that beginning, and then as earth goes into existence, the angels are already present for that. That's probably our best shot of trying to figure out the timing of when they came into being. Because again, there's not a verse that explicitly states it, uh, but that's kind of where we would go. In uh, Exodus 20, verse 11, it says that uh, in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them. So he he had some he had made, so there we go, by six days, they definitely were made in some capacity during that time. It makes sense that they were responding to God's creative acts that they had to be present when the earth came into um, existence. Questions on that? Yeah, sorry, Exodus 2011. All right, how many angels are there? And that's the thing. Again, you approach scripture and you get words like that. You get word myriads. You're like, whoa, I don't, that's, not a, that's not a normal part of my vocabulary. I don't usually walk around talking about myriads, you know? Um, yeah, how much is a myriad, right? And so there's lots of references. Uh, it's not an exact number, but I kind of want to give you what scripture says about their number just to kind of start getting a little bit of an idea just how vast and huge. Um, that, uh, we'll talk about that. Not a third. Um, scripture does not give us an exact number. But the total does seem to be quite enormous, okay? The total does seem to be very large. A um, couple of ideas. Uh, some believe, uh, and, and we'll get to the subject, if not this week, next week, uh, believe that uh, each angel um, is a guardian of a Christian. Each Christian has a guardian angel. And that therefore, they, they must equal at least the number of Christians, right? Throughout, throughout history, they must equal the same. Uh, they get a lot of times that reference comes from uh, Hebrews one fourteen, 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Um, we'll come back to this verse later and deal with it in more detail. Uh, but it doesn't clearly state here that every Christian has a guardian angel, though it does seem to imply a little bit, uh, something probably a little bit better. Uh, scripture actually seems to imply that, I will say, um, if you guys know football at all, uh, that angels kind of seem to play a little bit of zone coverage. I mean, it kind of is what it looks like in Scripture. And what I mean by that is there's multiple of them with an eye on you, as it were, okay? So it's not like you have this personal, you know, like a puppy walk around with you on a, you know, on a rope. It's more of like the idea that they are, they're playing zone coverage and they're kind of multiple of them around, overseeing, looking different, different areas. And we'll, we'll get into that in more detail. Um, so you could say that uh, there's probably more than one, as it were, for each person, each believer. And, uh, and again, if you look at all church history, you take the amount of believers, that's a, that's a large number um, of people. And there's more references to angelic activity, responsibility, and you see, the, you see the plural nature of them. He will command his angels, plural, concerning you. I know that was taken in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, as Satan used that to tempt Jesus, but the original context was written to believer, I mean, written to God's people. And so when it says his angels concerning you, singular, there's a command of, there's multiple angels for an individual, right? So that's uh, Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Um, Another reference that Jesus makes to kind of imply the plural nature of many of them for one person is uh, Matthew 18.10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven there, here it is, angels, plural, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So, Scripture doesn't say that every angel serves also as a kind of guardian. There's, we're going to find out later there are certain special tasks or jobs or created angels that, that do certain tasks that don't ever leave uh, the throne room of God, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5, seem to indicate that there are angels that just simply stay. And their sole job is to worship God and adore him forever. Um, but nonetheless, the, the number is, is, uh, is quite, quite large based on, based on those. Some more passages give us some indication of uh, how big. It's always interesting to see the references here. Luke 2.13, this is when the angels, remember, in the field with the shepherds. So it was, it was with the angel, singular, is one of them came a multitude, right? That's how he described him. It was more than he could count. It was a lot of them um, in the sky um, that night. In, the, uh, in Psalm 46, and this is a, a popular statement, um, God is called the Lord of hosts. Um, hosts is an uh, idea of an army. All right? He's head, got his head over a vast army of angels. Again, reference to this, there's, there's a lot of them. Okay? Um, John in Revelation as well as Job, call angels, and one of the statements they make or, or um, titles they give them, they call them stars or references as, as stars. That's led um, some to believe that the, the angels must equal or be, be as much as the stars are in the sky. Uh, Revelation 12, 3 and 4, says another angel appeared in heaven, behold a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns on his head, seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. There's a kind of reference to angelic beings as stars. Um, again, we saw this one earlier. The morning stars sing together and all the sons of God shout out for joy. I believe those are uh, parallelisms. So sons of God, morning stars are, are synonyms uh, together. And so um, if you take just the stars, for example, we've so far figured out that there's at least a one billion trillion stars. If you're going, how big is that? That's a one with, that's a 24 zeros. Okay, behind that's a lot, right? That's a, that's a really big number. So there's a quite a lot. Um, if, if that's the case, if that's what people are kind of making that connection, that would mean there's a lot of them. Okay? 
Uh, Moses, as well as Jude, references a, a specific number. And it says here in Deuteronomy 33.2, he came from the ten thousands of holy ones, right? So there's, he references ten thousand of them there in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. And then Jude makes a similar statement. He says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands um, of his holy ones. Another interesting statement that Jesus makes uh, in the Gospels, in Matthew 26, he refers to, if you remember that situation where he said, if I wanted to, I could call, he actually uses the phrase 12 legions, right, of, of angels, he says in that passage. He says, um, I cannot feel my father at once, and he will send me more than 12 legions of angels. The word legions is, uh, is actually a Roman uh, group, but that's 6,000 troops. You do the math, 6,000. Um, times 12, you come up with 72,000, even right there, right? That's interesting. He's like, I could call 72,000 of them right now, and they'd come. That implies that there's probably a lot of them, right? That's a lot of them. Um, John and Revelation and Daniel as well, both of those books are really important books for our study, uh, speak of the number of angels as the word myriads. You know what myriad means? The number of 10,000, 10, that's what that number means. And uh, Daniel even references it, it as 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million, right? So again, just a number, every time we get in Scripture, it just seems like a very large uh, mass number of them. Revelation 5.11 there, you see numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Again, John's got so many he's looking at. It's like, I just, I'm not even going to take a shot at counting how many this is. And then 7.10 of Daniel it says there a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, right? So a very large, large number. Final reference we'll make in terms of number is, uh, is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 22. Uh, speaking of, this is one of those, um, in eschatology we call this, uh, you have to write this word down, we call this inaugurated eschatology, or another way to look at it is the already not yet aspect. What that means is there's a sense of, like you read Ephesians 2, like we have been raised with Christ, we are seated with Christ, there are present tense things, and you're like, well, not really, I mean, I am, but I'm not yet, that's what we call that, the already not yet theology, right, um, or inaugurated eschatology if you want to sound really smart, but that's what it is, so this is one of those references where it says, we have come in salvation to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, right, so he's saying that that's in the presence of God now. There's just a, it's just innumerable. Right? It's a massive amount um, of them. So while there's not a specific number, every reference we find two numbers is always quite enormous, right? So it's just a very large uh, creation of angels. Questions? It does seem, we said earlier, like when they were created, it does seem like they were created and that's, yeah, it's not like a manufacturing line of like there's more of them being popped out. There seemed to have been a finite number that was uh, created. We just don't know what that number was, but it was a lot. We can't count them, but God can. Yes, just like the stars. We're always figuring out more. There you go. Some people have more than others. <laughs> I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Right there with you. <laughs> All right. So on that um, theology terminology that you use, inaugurated eschatology. Yes. All we have to remember is it's present tense for us. Right. It's, we we, we call it there. yeah we call it the already not yet. That's the easy way to remember it. In other words, there's things that are true about us already, 
Like we're already, you go to Ephesians 2, it's not one day we will be raised with Christ. It's that we already are. And we're already seated with him. So we're already there, we're already there. but not yet. It's as good as so, right? I mean, that's, it's like looking from God's perspective, from, because he's outside of time. It's like one of those things, like, we're already there, but we're not yet. Right, that's, that's what that means, yes. All right, classifications. All right, there are two major classifications of angels. Uh, the Bible references the holy, or another word they use is elect angels, um, who serve God uh, to this day. And there are fallen angels, also known as demons, sometimes referred to as evil angels. Spirits. Those are some some um, translations or words, at least in the ESV, um, that is used for that. So both uh, holy angels and fallen angels. Interesting enough, in Scripture, this is the other part about the study that's interesting. They share similar similar descriptions or titles. Uh, their names uh, you'll find uh, are similar, uh, indicating our belief that they probably all they all once were holy angels. God didn't create fallen angels from the beginning, that they had to have fallen, and then we get to Satan and demons, we'll talk about that aspect. Um, they're called rulers, authorities, powers, thrones, dominions, those words are used, but sometimes those references to those terms are used for holy angels, sometimes the references are used to refer to fallen angels. Interesting, right? So it just, again, shows us they probably all were, and we believe that, they all were created as holy angels, and that some of them fell, and then now the rankings, as we'll look about later, Almost like a like a battalion or like a you know a group is they they're they're in order and there's there's some kind of structure to them even uh, within that. Uh, some verses that uh, talk about that we have um, here Mark eight thirty eight uh, Jesus speaking. He says the Son of Man also uh, be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with and he calls them the holy angels right so there's a there's a separation just given an adjective to describe what angels that he's talking about, implying that they're, an un, they're unholy ones. First um, Timothy 5.21 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the, here it is, the elect angels, I charge you. So there's another description or adjective given uh, to angels, and which ones? Uh, Luke 8.2, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So there's evil spirits, demons, as references to different kinds of spirits, right? Hebrews 1 is going to talk about ministering spirits that are on the angelic, the holy side, and there's evil spirits, as Jesus references here. Uh, 2 Peter 2.4 says, God, God did not spare angels when they sinned. So there we go, there's a reference to some sort of fall that took place. I cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. We'll deal with that verse in detail when we get to demons. And uh, I already mentioned this one, Colossians 1.16. Again, the, the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities seem to be references to angelic beings more so than human, um, human beings. All right, so here's, a, here's a, a question that people ask. I know people have asked me this one too. Maybe you wondered this one. Can angels move from an unfallen state to a fallen state today? In other words, there, there seems to be some reference to angelic beings sinning, as, as we just saw, saw, saw in Second Peter. Is that still going on? Like, are there still, like, people, you know, how, how do we know? Right? That's always the answer to that question, is, and that's a complicated answer, because we have to look at a lot of passages to get it. Um, I would say this, well, Scripture doesn't give a definitive answer, in other words, it's not a verse I can point you to be like, here it is, it says it right here. It does allude to the fact that all angels, I'll say, were confirmed um, in their moral state after the fall. God preserves the holy elect angels, and will not redeem the fallen evil angels. Okay? I'll give you a couple reasons why 
um, why I believe that. I think the best way of answering this question is actually to answer a different question that will help us. And that is, what if God could redeem fallen angels and angels could still fall? Well, first of all, we have no reference to that at all in Scripture, right, of that ever taking place. Um, second, there's no, there's no um, record of demonic repentance at all. As a matter of fact, the opposite, um, they are said to confess right theology but still understand that they're, they're condemned. James 2.19 says, you believe God is one, you do well, even demons believe and shudder. They affirm right theology, but they're not changing states in terms of, of what they're in. Uh, Matthew 8.29, they cried out when they saw Jesus, they would have, have you to do with us, O Son of God, have you come here to torment us? before the time, okay, speaking of judgment, uh, they understand there's no changing sides here, right? There's, uh, there seems to be the reference there. Um, another reason we would say this is that Revelation seems to speak of, when we looked at this in our class on uh, the destiny of mankind, we talked about that uh, Revelation speaks of the state of humanity and eternity being sealed. And what I mean by that is that those in hell will be in hell and those in heaven will be in heaven. There's no switching, vice versa. There's no films that talk about you can go rescue someone from one or the other or anything like that, right? It's, it's you're in one state or the other, and it's confirmed as going on that way. One such reference to that uh, at the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, 11, it speaks there of let the evil do or do evil. The filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, the holy still be holy. Right in the middle of that, it's, it's all references to et eternal states. There seems to be a, this is what is going to be uh, for all eternity, whatever state they're in, they will stay that way. And again, if that's the future case of mankind, why is that not already the case in eternity right now of angels and demons that are kind of sealed in where they are? Finally, probably the biggest argument for this is that the impact of the cross on demons is always portrayed as judgment, right? Uh, it's never salvation. It's never referenced that way. No, nowhere do we read of uh, justification, forgiveness, redemption, adoption, regeneration, being true of any angelic being, okay? Uh, the opposite is true. We see here in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, he set aside, speaking of Jesus, nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That is a reference to, we believe, uh, fallen angels. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay? In our Revelation 4, 9 through 10, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed who? People, okay, people for God, from your tribe, tongue, people, nation. You made them a king and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There's no references to angelic beings um, being being redeemed. And finally, probably the clearest one we have, Hebrews 2, 14 to 16. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, likewise, speaking of Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Right? And so it's taking all those together seem to tell us that the current state, there's no more, you know, moving around, but there was some point of rebellion that we'll get to when we talk about demons that took place. When that was, what exactly took place is not explicit in scripture, but there's some references to it we can look at. Okay? Questions on that? Yeah. Yeah, we're, Hebrews is going to, that same passage is going to get into that, and we're going to get into that later. Um, but what, what it's going to say there is that currently speaking, mankind is not what they were created to be. <laughs> Hebrews 2 is going to say, look, the first 
probably the first uh, 10, 11 verses of Hebrews 2. Um, mankind's not what they're were created to be. Psalm 8 tells us that we were, we were supposed to be created, just like Genesis 1. Um, when sin came into the world, we, we lost, we, as it were, lost the crown. Okay? Uh, we're now subject to death, as he says there. Uh, but there's coming a time, Hebrews 2 says, well, that will be different. And Colossians, so I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6 is going to say that, you know, Paul would make this crazy passing statement in 1 Corinthians 6 too. It says, do you not know that we're going to rule over angels? And he just carries on, you know. And he just want to be like, hold on, can you, can we rewind that? Can you explain that a little bit more? What are you talking about? And so they will change um, in that sense. And there's a, there is definitely clear references that we will actually have charge in some way of angelic beings in eternity, but we'll save that for later. We'll get that later. Any other questions? All right. Question 10. What are some angelic attributes, right? Attributes are, we talk about attributes of God. Um, your attributes are like, if you pull your license out, you'll see some attributes of you, right? It'll give your eye color, height, weight, you know, all of that. It may not still be true. Um, Nonetheless, it's, it was at least true at some point. These are attributes, right, of you. Um, and that's what we talk about, angelic attributes. What, what is some, some, some things about them that we know from Scripture? Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one. Right? So first, um, and we've referenced a little bit already, they're immortal, but not eternal. Uh, they had a beginning, with, have no, but they have no end. Their number is fixed. They neither procreate, nor do they die. Matthew 22, 30, they're like angels in heaven, not given in marriage. Uh, Luke 20, verse 36, they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are, are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So equal to angels, meaning they cannot die. Okay, so they, they go on and continue um, forever. They don't, they don't die as we do. Um, be they uh, individuals, uh, but not, not human. Okay? Uh, they're not said to be made in the image of God like human, humans are, uh, they, but they do display elements of individuality um, and elements of personality, okay? But they're not made in the image of God. They are self-aware. Um, they're able to worship. They're able to speak. Very interesting verses we'll look at later. They're, they can be curious and wonder and ask questions. Uh, they can display joy, right? And so there's lots of human qualities, but they're not human beings, okay, they're not made in the image of God. So we find, um, for example, Revelation 19.10, uh, I fell at his feet, this is John speaking to an angel who has given him the information to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. So he's self-aware, he knows who he is. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God, right, get up. <laughs> so they understand, right, there's a sense of self-awareness of who they are. Same thing happens again. A couple chapters later, John does the exact same thing again. And the, guy, and the angel tells him, you must not do that. Same thing. Your brothers the prophets with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. All right, stop doing this. I am a created being. I don't deserve adoration, you know, uh, in that way. Um, Psalm 148, verse 2, again, speaks of the angels there as praising him, speaking of God. And so there's response there. There's emotion. Uh, John 20. 12 through 13, two angels at Jesus' resurrection there, white sitting, uh, in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one um, at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Right? They're asking questions. They, they understand uh, things. 1 Peter 1.12, this is interesting, 
says it was revealed to them, speak of the prophets in the Old Testament, that they were not serving themselves but you in recording revelation. And the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then Peter adds this little statement. Things to which angels long to look. They're interested. They want to know. They want to figure it out. Right? Um, Luke 15.10. Jesus said, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay? So they have, they have personality. Right? They have personhood in that sense, but they're not made in the image of God. Um, yes? Mm-hmm. Does that mean they don't have a soul? Um, well, yeah, if you, if you, the word soul in the Hebrew comes from the, when it says God breathed into him the in nostrils the breath of life, the suke, the, the word we get, psych, psyche, soul. Um, and so that's, that's unique to us in that way. So you use the word soul in that way. Yeah, that's unique to, to human beings. Yep. Um, Yes? No. That's what I would say. I think those references we looked at earlier seem to indicate that. Again, the study is interesting because there's not a verse that's just going to give it right straight to you, clear. But there's a lot of them that seem to be put them all together, seem to infer that there's no more changing of of state in that sense, meaning going from fallen to unfallen. Right. Uh, they are intelligent, but they're not omniscient. Okay, omniscient. That means know all things, all knowing. Okay, they're not all knowing. Okay, uh, very intelligent beings, but they are limited on their knowledge. They don't know everything. Uh, Jesus made that clear. Uh, Daniel, very interesting little verse here. Daniel eight thirteen. He just references him like overhearing every eavesdrop on people. I'm sure you don't, right? You don't ever do that at a restaurant. You don't ever listen to the conversation next to you. Daniel is eavesdropping on a conversation between two angels. Okay. He says, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, How long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? So he's, he's asking about judgment times and things that are coming, what God wants them to do. He apparently doesn't know the timing of that. And that's consistent um, with how Jesus would describe them. He says in um, Mark 13, 32, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. This is speaking of Jesus' return. Not even the angels uh, know the Son, even if only the Father, right? And so they don't know everything there is to know. That's why they're inquisitive. That's why they're learning. That's why they long to look into things. Um, uh, they're powerful beings, but they're not omnipotent. Omnipotence is the word we use meaning all-powerful. Okay? They don't have unlimited power. Um, they, uh, they grow weary. They need strengthening. Scripture seems to indicate. Uh, they grow discouraged and need encouragement. Uh, not even the highest of the angels, Michael, also known as the archangel, is self-sufficient or omnipotent. Okay? So Daniel makes a few references to this. If you're really interested in the angel, I'm going to tell you what, Daniel, you read Daniel, there's a ton of references uh, to things. Daniel 10, 13-14 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to save it, all right? But there's who that is. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this is the angel speaking, 21 days. Here we have some reference to angelic conflict, okay? Fallen and elect angels, some kind of conflict. He's delayed, this holy angel, by 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. So it's clearly they're not omnipotent, right? There's some resistance that took place. Also in Daniel, 
chapter 10, verses 21 through the 11 one. Um, it says, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except the, ex, against these except Michael, your prince. It's a reference to Michael as an angel. It's another word for angels, prince. As for me, in the first year of Darius the, uh, the Mede, I stood to confirm and strengthen him. The text seems to refer back to Michael, this angel speaking, having to help Michael uh, in that way. And so there is, again, angels need strengthening in that way. Okay. Also, angels are, are said to be, and it's clear in Scripture, they're said to be subservient to God. What I mean by that is they are, they are dependent upon God, both for their strength and also for the job in which they are to do. Um, all power they do have is in service and in command of God himself. And though they are more powerful at the present time than humans, as we mentioned a second ago, um, they still cannot say or do anything outside of what God allows them to do. And that includes, by the way, as we'll get to later with demonic influence, the demonic and satanic um, attack, they're unable to do, only, only able to do what God allows them to do. Job, is, uh, Job 1 and 2, gives us clear references to that. Um, but they, they're there to serve God. So we have like Psalm 103, 20, Bless the Lord all his, angel, all his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. This is what they do. They, they do his word what he tells them to do. 2 Peter 2, 10 11 says, uh, speaking of false teachers, bold and willful, uh, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. There's a reference to angels again. I hope you've seen, there's a lot of titles in the Bible given to them. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power than these false teachers, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. The inference to that is that they're unable to only do what God allows them to do. They can't take things in their own hands. All right? Contrary to, again, the films I mentioned to you earlier, all of them have angels who just kind of take things in their own hands, right? They're able to do what they want to do. Mm, the scripture doesn't say that. They do have personality. They do ask questions. They do experience emotion. They do grow weak, but they're not able to took, take things into their own hands and do anything apart from what God has them do. But they are uh, references being extremely powerful. They, they are used by God to carry out judgment, uh, in destroying cities, nations, even kingdoms. Here's a couple of references to this. Genesis 19.13, and they showed up at, uh, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And they showed up there with Lot. Uh, we are about to destroy this place. This is the angel speaking. Because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. It's interesting. So they have that, that uh, power that God has given to them. Uh, 2 Kings 19 Verse 35, and that, and that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. I love the old King James version of this verse. You ever read, read this before? Go read the King James version of that. Because it just says, and behold, they woke and they were dead. It's like they woke up, like, oh no, we're dead. You know, um, <laughs> you got to read it. It's, pretty, it's a pretty, pretty funny translation how they did that. Um, Acts 12, verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Remember this context? This is Herod speaking, remember? And he was, people were praising him. Oh, the voice of God and of an angel. And all of a sudden he received that praise and an angel struck him down. Because <laughs> he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. <clears throat> Speaks to some, definitely there's some angelic power, right, that is there. Also, angels are said to be able to move large stones uh, that took many men to move. They inter interlocked prisons, influence weather, shake walls, whatever that God wants them to do. In Matthew 28, 2, there was a great earthquake, 
an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and set on it. If you remember the context, it took at least four soldiers to roll that stone, and then one angel just went, doo -doo -doo -doo, just rolled it right over, you know, and then set on it, which I think is funny. Let's go sit here and hang out for a minute. Um, Acts 12, 7, behold, an angel of the What's that? Yeah, the rest. It was a hard, it was a hard rock to move. Um, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him. It's like he poked him in the side. Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. So they were able to go into that prison and set him free in that capacity. Acts 12, 7, sorry. I made that reference quick. Uh, another one is Revelation 7, 2. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. He called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea. So there we go. See, they've been given power, a very specific task. Their power is not, not limited, but it is very strong when God wants them to do what he wants them to do. Isaiah 6, 4 says, The foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. So that context, verse 3 of that verse, remember the angels are circling around the throne of God, and they're crying out, what? Holy, 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 holy right? It's Lord God Almighty. All earth is full of his glory. And it says the foundations, so the whole foundation of the temple shook, right, at the voice of them saying that. So now you get some inference to, whoa, these are it's a pretty strong and powerful, that's a, strong, that's a, that's a powerful voice right there, right? Um, so we get, we get those in Scripture. But again, they're not omnipotent, they're not unlimited on their power. Um, e, they're quick, <laughs> but not omnipresent. Okay, they can't just be everywhere at once. Again, what I you, hopefully you're starting to see, they don't have the attributes of God in that way. Um, they are they are quick, but not omnipresent. Uh, they have spatial movement and temporal limitations, though they are apparently pretty quick. Daniel 9.21 says, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in, here he describes it, swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So he was quick. It was quick. Um, in uh, Revelation 14.6, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. So again, we find some sense of speed that's going on there. Sorry, Revelation 14.6. Um, another uh, attribute, letter F there, spirit beings, but not flesh and bone. Okay, angels are called in, Revel in Hebrews 1.14, ministering spirits, okay, spirits. Um, they also, this is interesting, again, if you were, the took my class on uh, the Destiny of Mankind, we talked about this. We talked about when, when, it, when a Christian dies, they're meeting the presence of the Lord, and they await their resurrection of their bodies. Yet, at the same time, they have a, a lonely body. I don't know. They have a, they have a, a temporary, we call it an intermediate body, basically, in heaven, because they have, they have physical characteristics currently in heaven. They're still recognizable. Um, they are able to do things. And so, same way with angels, there seem to be some kind of angelic, heavenly body that they have, but it's not a, it's not a physical human body, though at times they appear very human um, in Scripture. And so, we, um, we find... Um, that, that reference I made a second ago, Hebrews 1.14, um, that they are ministering spirits. Interesting thing about that, even though they are spirits, they are able, we just saw that a second ago, they're able to touch if God so allows it, right? Um, Daniel 10.10, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So there was, that's a, in that context, it's an angelic being. Um, 
touching Daniel. Uh, we saw that already with Peter in the prison. He poked him right in his side. In Ezekiel 2, 9 and 10, it says, When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in, in it, and he spread it out before me. So there, all those references, obviously, are to some physical nature. I mean, he's rolling out a scroll. He's able to touch it. So even though they're spirits, they have physical characteristics uh, at the same time. Okay? Uh, letter G. They are they're invisible, but not always. Right? Um, they're usually unseen, okay? Uh, but sometimes God allows their presence to be known and seen. Um, they're able to assume the form and appearance of humans both in dreams and in visions, as well as sometimes in broad daylight. We see that with the case with Abraham, we see that with Moses, and we see that with Mary. In Genesis 18, they appeared as strong men, right, in Genesis 18, and they were apparently men uh, at that time. Other references we find is Numbers 22:31. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. That's remember they Balaam and the donkey. We'll get back. We'll come back to that one a little bit um, before we end our class tonight. Uh, opened his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. So he didn't see him. Remember, he didn't see the angel at first. Then all of a sudden, or if that was an angel, maybe it wasn't. Um, and uh, and so he saw him. He didn't see him at first, but then he was. His eyes were open to be able to see it. My favorite ones here: Second Kings, Second Kings six four seventeen. Elisha prayed. It's a whole story there of he's surrounded. His camp is surrounded him and his servant. Um, the whole, the, the, the foreign uh, kings come in and they're able to, they're surrounding their entire place. And he's like, oh no, we're done for. And Elisha's like, all right, Lord, can you open his eyes for a moment and let him see? And so Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Right? So there's times where God opens eyes to be able to see what's going on it's always there. It's not like it wasn't ever there. It just was like a different realm would be the best way to describe it. Uh, Daniel 9, 20 and 21, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people, Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the human sacrifice. So again, he's able to be seen, and he's even called the man Gabriel. Right? There's a description. Obviously, Daniel sees him as, as, as human form. And uh, Hebrews 13 seems to indicate that sometimes angels take on human form, and we don't even know it. Right? Very interesting verse. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Right? All right. Letter H. The Bible describes angels, this is contrary to pop culture, as wingless. I mean, they don't have wings. But they're very rarely do they. I mean, there's only two references in Scripture to any angelic beings having wings. There's times where the reference is flying, and we imply that, oh, well, they must have wings, because that's all we know. Flying, you must have wings. Well, no, <laughs> not necessarily. Um, the, there's only, out of 600 plus references to angels, again, only two references to any of them having wings. And it seems to be the only ones that do are the ones that are actually permanently in the presence um, of God even now. Okay? So Isaiah 6.2 gave a reference here. Here's the seraphim. We'll come back to them later. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. Two he flew. Because there's some angelic wings for you if you were really wanting those. They're there. Um, Ezekiel is the other reference. Ezekiel... 1, 5 to 6, 
probably a very similar um, creature here, uh, four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had human likeness. Each had four faces. Each of them had four wings. Okay, so there was, those are the only references we find to, to, to wings, okay, contrary to pop, pop culture. Also, what's interesting in Bible is that they, every time they appear, and their appearance, they are male. Now, it doesn't, I'm not, doesn't say anything negative about you ladies at all. I'm just giving you what the Bible says of just their appearance. They're always male. And again, so mentioned earlier about the pop culture, they're always female. This is exactly opposite of Scripture. Um, they, A, don't have wings, and B, they're not female, in appearance at least. Okay? Um, Matthew 22 has told us that uh, angels don't procreate. Um, so it would, it, thus it would be fair to say, really, they're not male or female, because they're not human beings, right? But when they do appear with, with some sort of appearance, they appear to be male. Uh, they also, by the way, always appear not old but young, in every reference that they, that they appear. Also, the names of the angels themselves are male. Um, they have Gabriel and Michael as two names in Scripture. The only possible difference, the only reference you can have to possibly being female is uh, Zechariah 5.9. So people will go to that one and be like, see, there's female angels, or at least appearing female. Um, but that reference, if you go to that one, I believe is not referencing angels at all. It's uh, speaking of a, it's a prophecy and using it as a picture of what he is speaking of and not literally angels at that point. They're symbols of wickedness, actually. So it would be hard to think those are, those are angels. Uh, Judges 18.2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men. That's how he describes them. Now we find out in the passages that unfolds that these are angels. Um, but he looked at them, he saw them as, as men, Abraham did. Judges 6.21, angel reached out the tip of a staff that was in his hand there. Ezekiel 9.2, behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. With them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case in his waist. His waist. Again, all references to the male references there. And then Revelation 12, 7, the war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, his angels. Okay? So there is seem to be male characteristics when they are when they are seen. Another one is they, they induce fear, not joy. It just that's again kind of you know it's again not clearance here. I mean that's not kind of what's going on. Um, whenever someone encounters an angel, it always produces a sense of awe and even fear. Many times the encounter results in angels having to calm a person down when they get into there. There's emotional and mental uh, agitation. There's fear and loss of composure. I'll give you a few references to this. Daniel 8, 17 and 18 says, He came near to where I stood. This is an angel. And when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face. He said, understand, O son of man, the vision is for the time of the end. When he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And he touched me and made me stand up. Right? So he just collapsed. Um, in Luke 1, 12-13, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and he fear fell upon him. Remember he's in the temple and he sees the angel he completely freaks out. The angel said to him, don't be afraid. Right? He has to say that because obviously the reason he has to say that is because he's afraid. Okay, He can, he can sense that. He can see that. Uh, Luke 2, the shepherds out in the field. Um, they were out there keeping watch of the flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Right? They always have to say that um, because that's their appearance. And they, and they do, again, they appear so majestic and powerful when they are seen 
that they even induce a, induce a sense of worship. And we saw that already with John, right? There's a reason why John fell at his feet to worship him. I mean, there was something about this creature that was majestic, um, that the creature has to go, no, worship God, don't worship me. Okay. Any questions on some of those attributes? Next week we're going to get into, like, what they do. Okay, and we'll look at all the passages of Scripture speak to what they do. Um, Let's look at what are they called. I mentioned earlier, I've already mentioned a few of these, but uh, the names that are given in Scripture. So there are many names given to angels, uh, and really the names are descriptive of their nature and responsibilities, and they tell us about God's purposes, plans, and character. There's a reason why there's all these different names. They're telling us something about them, right? They're giving us some qualities. The first reference, and most common reference that we're using mostly in the class, actually, it's just simply the word angels, which we, whoops, sorry, which we said was uh, the word, come on now, you can do it. Um, <clears throat> and we said the word angel means what? Messengers, Messengers right? So that's the, that's the one we, we understand normally. Um, the very name describes the core, really, of their responsibility and their created purpose. They are messengers. Um, they're God's messengers. And the message can be in Scripture one of hope. Uh, as it was with Mary or Zechariah, or it could be a message of judgment, as in the book of Revelation. Right? It can, the, rep, the delivery is the same, the deliverer is the same, but the message changes based on what God wants to give. Um, again, angel is the most common reference that we use in, in modern culture, but it's not, by the way, the most used description of angels or title of angels uh, in the Bible. Acts 7.30 is a reference to Moses in the... Uh, before the burning bush, it says that an angel appeared to him in the wilderness, right? Um, another title that we've seen already is the title Sons of God. And this title describes, indicates, um, it indicates the personal nature of the angels, how close they are to God. Um, we see this in Job 38, where they're there rejoicing um, at seeing God speak the word into being. They are not now, it's important to understand, they're not literally sons of God biologically. Okay, that's not what he's speaking about. But they are sons, as in part of his creation. Okay? Also, angels will never be sons of God like, like we can be through faith in Christ. There is no son of God through redemption. They're just titled sons of God to talk about the intimacy, the closeness uh, that they are with God. <clears throat> one of them uh, we have here, Job 1, the sons of God can present themselves before the Lord. It's a reference to angels appearing before, before God. Another um, title given to them is the Holy Ones. This represents, uh, tells us about their sinlessness. They are perfect moral creatures without any moral failure. Um, and, and, and the fascinating thing, even though they are sinless creatures, when you go to Isaiah 6, um, even there they still have to cover their faces. Isn't that interesting? And their feet, they have to, co they have to cover themselves. They have to take cover in the presence of God, even though they've never sinned. That just tells you how holy, how glorious God is. And even an unfallen angel has to take cover in God's presence. Um, we find um, also in Psalm 89, verses 5 through 7, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the sky is going to be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord. God, great to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, awesome above all who are around him. Right? There's that phrase, that description holy ones. Letter D, we've seen this one before, yeah? So, while believers are 
viewed as holy because of imputed righteousness. Right. How about like angels? I, is it will we say it's imputed or and I use this term very loosely, or is it independent righteousness? Inherent righteousness? Probably the best word I'd use. That's not it's not in the Bible that word's not, but our description of it would be, yeah, in, inherent. Um, they just they were just created as holy beings. Um, they didn't earn it in any fashion. They weren't given it um, other than God declared it when they were made. But there's no sense of it. They somehow got, uh, you know, they, they had some kind of scale they moved up on. Right? Uh, spirits, as we've seen already, uh, Hebrews 1.14, um, they are ministering spirits. Again, though they do assume bodily form at times. E, they are uh, talked about as ministers in that same passage. Um, they just describe, this describes their task in their relationship to us as, as, as believers. Um, their core relationship to us is to serve us, while their core relationship to God is to convey his word and carry out his orders. Um, they're to do. Psalm 104 verse 4 describes them as, as messengers, winds, as ministers, as flaming fire. Right? It may speak to their speed as well, the flaming fire aspect, the winds. But they are, they are ministers. Another description of the Bible is the word hosts. Anybody know what the word hosts mean? We don't use that word in, in language very often today, but... It's a group. Yeah, it's a group. What's that? A big number? It's actually, um, if you listen to like worship music sometimes, like Chris Tomlin had a song out called uh, God of Angel Armies. You heard that? That's what, yes. that's what it is. Host is armies. That's why he uses that translation. It would be, it almost be better if the, if the guys translated that way. It would be helpful probably for most people to understand. But he's the Lord of armies. The Lord of angel armies. That's what the word hosts mean. And actually, that is the most popular reference to angels, above even the word angel in scripture. Um, it's used, uh, the word, the term Lord of hosts is used 232 times in the Bible. Pretty popular statement. And again, it gives us the idea that um, angels are, as you could say, almost like warriors who are in constant war, conflict with demons, and we'll get to that later in our class. Um, again, most widely used description in all of Scripture. There's legion size. Legion size, yeah, there you go. Legion size, what did we say? Seven, 600? I forget now. 6,000, Six, 6, that's right, 6,000. I was thinking of John, um, John 18 today. Yeah, yep. And so there, um, there we have uh, all of his hosts, um, his, his warriors almost, you could use that word there if you'd like. Uh, James 5, 4 says the same thing. Um, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And, they, and they're always referenced, when it's referenced as Lord of hosts, it's always some almost judgment in that passage, right? It's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of angel armies, bringing, bringing wrath, bringing justice um, in that way. James 5.4, sorry. Uh, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities is another description. Um, this seems to represent uh, the high, kind of an order of angelic, in the angelic realm that God has. You know, we have, we have armies, you know, and we have Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, right? And we have organization, structure, and all of that. Well, I'd like to think that's maybe an image of God in us that kind of reflects what he did with angels. Because that's exactly what the, the Bible seems to indicate, that there's some rank, and there's order, and there's responsibility. Uh, even among the army of, uh, of angels. Um, we find that, Colossians 1.16 again, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. One of the, um, the last one there is very interesting. We'll call them watchers. The Bible calls them watchers. Um, description, this description speaks of angels as 
almost like supervisors employed by God and governing the world. Okay? Uh, they're empowered, some of them are empowered, authorized to mediate God's purposes, especially when it comes to judgment. Um, in Daniel 4, the title appears three different times in the context of judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. The New Testament counterpart seems to be, when you go to Revelation, this title, Watchers in the Old Testament, like in Daniel, seems to parallel the description of the angels that bring judgment in Revelation, kind of similar roles. Um, just like in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, you have the same description of angels, uh, but different titles given to them, seraphim, and then you have living creatures in Revelation, but they're doing the same thing. So it's probably the New Testament. This is the Old Testament counterpart to the angelic beings who bring judgment in Revelation. Uh, you have uh, Revelation, I'm sorry, Daniel 4.13. Again, here he is. Behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. They're just watchers. They're looking at you. Right? <laughs> uh, Daniel 4.17. Sentence by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will set over its lowest of men. Okay? All right. Well, let's look at that. How are they organized? <laughs> um, well, I'll say, first of all, there seems to be a special assembly. Okay? If you're like a teacher, you have special assemblies, okay? God has special assemblies. Um, it seems to be consistent. Bless you. That, that, was, that was, like, violent. <laughs> um, it used to be. They're gone. It went right through the wall. Uh, the majority of angels are described as having a, it's interesting, a regular assembly before God. And they're seen in scripture as reporting to God in Job. They're seen as getting assignments in Hebrews 1. And they're seen to be dispatched by God on a consistent basis to perform specific tasks that God has them to do. And subsequently, the Bible says, they're gonna, they return and come back and get a new assignment and go again. And so there's this constant kind of movement of angels going into the assembly of God, getting kind of their orders, and then going out. And so again, very similar to kind of uh, our organization of, uh, of uh, war and battle. Uh, a few references to this. Here we go. Job 2.1. Again, they, they came to present themselves before the Lord. This, it says this twice, Job 1 and Job 2, that this was just a consistent thing they did. You know, I love it. Job, they just reference it and keep going. You're like, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, you know. But it's just like, yeah, you know, there's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord. Um, Psalm 89, verse 5, says, uh, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. There's some sort of assembly and grouping of them together. Psalm 103, 20 and 21 it says here that the angels, the mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, his ministers who do his will. So they're, they're, they're being tasked to do what God wants them to do. And then the Hebrews 1.14 one is really interesting. We'll camp on this for a moment. Again, ministering spirits sent out, the word dispatched, okay, to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The word for, um, it says to serve it's actually the word for a public servant sent out by a king's orders. That's what that, that word was used for. Another word, the word serve is our Greek word dia, di, diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon from. They're deacons. Think of that way. Angels are deacons. They're being sent out by God to serve, and they're given orders and descriptions, and they come back and get a new task. Um, so the present, and the, actually the language, what's that? I said, although not all deacons are angels. 
Let's let that one go. Um, so, and interesting about this too, when it says send out to serve, the serve word is also present tense verb, which means that they're continually being sent out to serve. Okay, so that's the idea of that. When I say they're dispatched and they return back again, that's what the Hebrews is telling us. So they're constantly kind of taking orders from King Jesus. They're completing them and they're reporting back and returning for new assignments. Isn't that interesting? That's what they're doing. Um, Another description uh, or, or order here is uh, there's, there's a special messenger that seems to be in Scripture. Uh, while, while angels in general are considered messengers, we find Gabriel as an angel with specific tasks to, very, to bring very special orders or very special messages uh, to God's people at time. We find him in Daniel, and we find him in the Gospel of Luke. So here we have Daniel 8.16. I heard a man's voice between the banks of of the Uliai, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he was there to kind of help reassure or clarify whatever was given by one angel. Daniel, uh, Gabriel comes across and is like, okay, let me, let me break this down for you. Okay, he's like an exegete. He's a preacher. No, he's like breaking it down so they can understand what the message is. We see him in Daniel 9, 21 to 23. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. He made me understand speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. To give your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I come to tell, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Isn't that a great message? Amen. That's amazing. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So his job is to help, under, help, help people understand those. And he has a very special part in the incarnation of the Son of God there, because he, in Luke 1.19, the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. To Joseph, right? I'm supposed to tell you this. Um, we find him also, again, a little bit later, Luke 1, 26, out of 27, the sixth month angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So he was involved in dispatching and explaining the whole incarnation of the Son of God. So he seems to have a very special role in that way. Another one, there seems to be, we've referenced him a little bit already, there's special worshipers whose job literally is just to adore God. God made them, said, all right, you're just going to adore me. (laughs) That's what they do. Um, Again, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, describes them um, as very similar. Matter of fact, they're they're saying that this is between Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, it's about 750 years. And we find him in Isaiah 6 saying, holy, 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 right? And they say it here. Um, the seraphim, as they're called, um, they're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah 6, 2-4. Their name, by the way, seraphim means burning ones. Um, the idea is uh, that they are constant adoration of God. They're seen as um, mighty and beautiful and really burning ones, like consumed with the glory of God. So here we find them in Isaiah. So 750 years later, we find them in Revelation, uh, 4, verses, uh, verse 8. And here they are described as four living creatures and not seraphim, but the, the titles of the, uh, the, what they do is the same. Look down. It says, Holy, Holy, Holy. They never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, is to come. They, it's like a broken record. They just keep saying it. And I, I've, I've said this before, like, this was amazing about the holiness of God that we just don't grasp, is that we think to ourselves going like, you know, that, like, like 10 minutes later that would get old for me. Right? Can we get a new song, you know, out of this one? 
these guys for 750 years have never ceased to say the same thing over and over and over again. And get this, and they don't get bored with it. Because that's just how, how glorious and beautiful and attractive is God. Amen. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what I love about studying angels, because you start getting the grasp of like, man, we just don't grasp how amazing God is. And they, these guys just continue to do the same thing. They just, they, they never get bored with it. Uh, there are also what are called special guardians. And then this, this angel is called the, the cherubim. Uh, they're described as powerful angels, seemingly more powerful than others. And they have a specific task. Where do they first show up? you know where they are early on in Genesis? Yeah, and then what do they do? Keep them out of it. Right, they're guarding the entrance, right? That's their kind of job, is to guard that entrance. Um, we find them there in Genesis 3.24, turning every way to guard the way to the tree of life, is who these guys, the cherubim. Um, they actually are, uh, have a specific task of guarding the entrance of the Garden of Eden, and, interestingly enough, I'll call it flanking God in battle formation. They're always next to him. Whenever he moves out as a Lord of Hosts, the, the Bible describes these guys as being like on his right and his left. Um, he is said to be enthroned on the cherubim, it says, Second uh, Samuel 6.2 and Second Kings 19.15. They're actually the ones in the Ark of the Covenant on the top, when they formed and made the Ark of the Covenant, the cover is actually these angels as well. Okay? So we see here Psalm 18.10, he rode on a cherub, this is speaking of God, and flew, he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. It's fast. Ezekiel 10.5, the sounds of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. And then same passage, Ezekiel 10.18-19, through 19, the glory Lord went out from the threshold of the house, stood over the cherub, cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the, with the wheels beside them, whatever that means, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. So they're always like there, almost like flanking, like flanking him, you know? They're his wingmen, okay? So they are on both sides. Um, there's a special warrior, we find. Um, sorry? The uh, special warrior Michael is described as a, an archangel, is one of the descriptions of him. That's a title of rule and authority. They're called his angels in Revelation 12. So there's some sense of he's the, the chief leader here, commander. He's also called in Daniel the chief prince. Um, so he's kind of a warrior angel and leads the angels out to battle against demonic forces. Uh, here they are here in Revelation 12, 7. They're called his angels. Um, in Jude 1, verse 9, very interesting. <laughs> I'm going to try to describe this one, but Jude, Jude 1, 9, when the archangel Michael continued with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses he did not presume to uh, pr pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So there's some interaction, what all is going on there specifically. I'm not going to be able to help you out tonight. Uh, I'm running out of time, but I would love to describe it another time. Um, but nonetheless, they, there is some kind of conflict there. He's definitely a representative as a leader of, of the angels. First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 is the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. He's blowing that as, uh, as Christ returns. Daniel 10 Verse 13, he's called, um, we have Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Okay. Then there's the, uh, I'll call it a special rank. Uh, different classes or categories of angels, some form of organization and rank. We have Michael as a leader of the army of angels. The cherubim, seraphim have specific roles. 
Um, as we will see later, there's organization, uh, even with the demons, with similar titles and roles. So lots of references here to kind of this organization. Ephesians 1.21, above rule, and authority and power and dominion. There's some, some descriptions there. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 10, they're called rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All these titles give some sort of indication that there's some sort of rank and order to, to them. Uh, we've already seen Colossians 1.16. Again, there are thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Colossians 2.10 says uh, he is, uh, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority, and even that context seems to be to angelic beings, not just rule and authority in general. Uh, and even Romans 8.38, there seems to be here the, the idea of uh, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth. Uh, nothing can separate us, even says angels or rulers, any of those things describing those angelic beings. Okay? All right. Any questions? I'm going to have to save this one because this is, I, gotta, I, I want to I take some time on that last question because there's a lot the Bible has to say about it. Okay? So we'll save this one for next week. We'll pick it up from there. Yeah, go for it. talked about the guardian angel. Yep, the cherubim. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a believer dies, mm-hmm. does our guardian angel escort us to I will get to that next week. Okay. I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that because there's a passage in Luke 16 that seems to infer that. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I, I've got quite a few of those for you. I'll, I'll share next week. Yep. 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 Yeah. And so I'm going to share some of those with you next week and we'll look at that. All right. Uh, well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. We'll pick up this question next week with a whole more set of questions to do with uh, angels specifically. We'll look at a lot of their tasks. What actually are they doing uh, specifically in relationship to us? Okay? So thank you. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Thank you.